Hello there, and welcome to the Six Acres Snapshots podcast. My name's Bob D, and with me for this show are Dave Sutcliffe. Hello there. And also Rich Polly. General Kenobi. Mm. <laughs> well done, lads. Um, in this one, we're going to talk points, but we are not going to trawl through and explain what's gone up by one and what's gone down by three. Uh, we are looking at it more generally, and we thought that Dave was the ideal bloke to talk about that, because uh, on uh, his blog, Stay on the Leader, he has recently done a series of articles about the points changes. But before we get into the detail of it, um, congratulations, Dave. You've hit a bit of a milestone recently. Uh, I have, uh, without realising it. Um, somewhere during lockdown, I passed a million reads on my blog, which feels like a very big number. Uh, it's an unusual number for a blog. I don't know. I see now. This is this is where you know a gentleman never never checks with other gentlemen. Um, so I can only say that it feels like a big number to me. Um, I've been blogging for four years, and I'm sure if I'd just passed ten thousand, I'd be going hooray! I've done past ten thousand. And if it was past a hundred thousand, I'd feel chuffed. Yeah, I've gone past a hundred thousand. Um, just passing a big round number, really, but a million. It's a crazy number. I never thought I'd get there. And I think if I hadn't done the buying guides, I'd still be a long way off. They're probably a good 30, 40% of all the, the hits. So if any bloggers out there want to try and chase me to 2 million, just write a buying guide. Or write a series of buying guides and get loads of people to read them. Yes. Yes. And also keep them up to date. That's the next job. Is it? Yeah, they're, they're a little bit out of date now uh, because I was going to fix them and then they kept going, points are going to come, points are going to come. So I never did. Um, and then points took ages. But now that points have landed, they are my next on my list is to update the points and put all the new ships in and talk about Actis and HMP and things like that. Okay. Um, yeah, that's cool. So, well, many congratulations. If you don't know Dave's blog, first of all, crawl out from under your rock. Uh, but you will find him at stayontheleader.blogspot.com. There is stuff going right back to 2016, where Dave started on his journey into X-Wing. Obsessed with T-70s, as I recall, when you first got going. Yeah, I was really into T-70s. So my, my, first, my first blog was, hey, did you know a one forward is the same length as a ship? <laughs> so if anyone doesn't know that a one forward is the same as a small ship base, it's the same length. Then, yep. then you really need to know. It really helps. Yeah. Uh, my first blog was just mind blown at that. So I've come a long way. Yeah, well, we've all learned a little bit over the last four years. And uh, it is fantastic to see that people are reading. When I started playing x Wing, there was a guy writing a thing called Metal Bikini, which was pretty basic. But that was about it for blogging. Um, I've done a little bit here and there, mostly about x Wing travels. Uh, but... It's fair to say that you kind of led the way with uh, with where we are in X-Wing blogging. So many congratulations on that. I don't know about that. There's plenty of people out there doing blogging, and the more of us, the better. But I'll take the compliment. Thank you. Oh, cool. Um, so moving on to points changes. Um, you, Dave, in your last few blogs have done a series of articles about uh, the, the impact of, of points changes. I read those, and I thought, well, the internet says, yeah. And Dave's blogs are kind of saying, yeah, plus maybe. Um, is, is that fair? Yeah, I think overall, 
I'm a little bit disappointed that they didn't just take the opportunity to really stir the pot um, more than more than looking at anything specific. I just thought there was a real opportunity to just give it, just throw everything up in the air and see where it landed again. Um, and I think they were a little bit reluctant to do that because maybe it hadn't, not everyone had got to play with it after they did it last time. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's reasons to be hopeful to to explore new things in there, definitely. I mean, that said, there were some things that, that did change significantly. First Order in particular, I think you felt uh, had come um, out of the shadows a little bit. I've been a big fan of First Order, probably from the back end of last year, when um, Mathieu Parajac did really well with his uh, Avenger Swarm. And I thought, oh, yeah, there's something in there. And I've, I've been waiting through the last two points changes for them to give FO really the push forward that I think they need to make them the, the top top tier because they're just below it. I'm not quite sure this points change has done that, but it's definitely given you loads of tools to explore. And I think the first order provocateur, particularly at 41 points, is really exciting. Yeah, I mean, what, what occurred to me was that given what's been happening over the last few months in terms of worldwide global pandemic emergency, and also given we've got some ships coming out hopefully by the end of next month. Uh, it could be that they didn't want to go too mad with First Order because there might be a slot for that shuttle to come in and make it all quite a lot better. Yeah, and I think I, I, a little bird told me that that's why Quick Draw went up. It's not about anything Quick Draw has been doing, but something that they thought might be in the G or G or J or XI or 11 or however you want to call it, um, that interacts with quick draw and they were trying to get ahead of the game and that's an that's a perspective that it's hard for us as players to have that we see the points and we look backwards at what has happened before whereas ffg have got a view of what's coming down the tracks um that can make some decisions look odd to us but they just have seen more of the picture rich what's your feeling about fo i mean it is they have been underrepresented despite having all the nice shiny loot very briefly for a couple of weeks in early March. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't play a lot of FO. Um, coronavirus has given me the op opportunity to actually put ships on the table that I don't own um, using TTS. And I think kind of leads into two points about why the point exchanges have been a bit meh. Um, so um, FO is cool. There's a lot of cool, fun interactions. Um, Dave put us on to the Tavson Quick Draw um, Axis, which is a, a hilariously fun um, little um, kind of central combo for a, a Phasma. Um, for a list. Phasma, sorry, did I say yeah. Phasma? A quick Draw. Yeah, said, it's a quick draw. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I meant I meant Phasma. Yeah, Phasma and Tavson. Um, the the basic conceit of it being is that if you shoot Tavson, he gets actions and gives. Um, like double modded shots to um, Phasma. And if you shoot Phasma, um, Phasma passes a damage onto Tabson, who then gives Phasma an action back anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, it it's, um, enables an awful lot of kind of fun puzzles um, for opponents while you're kind of double modding a whole heap of big, uh, big gun shots into them. Um, so, yeah, there is stuff there. And I have seen quite a few people 
um, playing out the First Order Provocateurs, playing out um, silencer lists. Um, so I think you can fit four of the I-1 silencers into a list now. Mm-hmm. Um, with a, a few bits and bobs, you can fit a whole bunch of stuff like three um, Provocateurs and Kylo or, you know, and there's a whole bunch of different archetypes you can play into as well. And they're all really strong against the lower initiative stuff. Um, I just think that their options at I-6 are quite limited. Um, Von Reg is okay, but not great. Um, he's tough to get the best out of him. Um, and then Kylo obviously is an absolute beast at I-5, but if he's outbid or or there's a six on the table, then that's the thing that's going to cause him trouble in endgame. But um, yeah, I mean, they're good. I mean, you're... Your closing comment on on your first order blog was basically, or, or your opening comment, I should say, on the first order blog was basically, they've got a whole bunch of stuff that's A tier, but nothing that's truly going to kind of push the boundaries up into S tier, um, to to use those like old Japanese, um, grading structures, or <laughs> wherever they come from. But yeah, um, and I think that's accurate. Um, I think they've got a whole load of good stuff, and if you are a good player and you play first order into a tournament, you'll you'll you know you'll run deep into that tournament and do okay. Um, but if you come across a truly good player with a truly good list, um, you'll just get handed your arse. It feels it feels to me like you can't the, the aces aren't can't just manage to be good enough for a three ace list. But as soon as you go for a four ship list, your chances of securing a bid are pretty negligible. Yeah, I think I think that's true. Um, there's a lot of people in the first order community who are really hoping that the G kind of unlocks a lambda roll. Like they feel the upsilon's a little bit too expensive, um, and they're kind of looking for two aces and a shuttle. I do like Kylo von Reg and an upsilon, but I also accept that it's not up there with the very best triple aces. Um, you can do Kylo von Reg quick draw, but quick draw is not what he was. Um, but I think that to an extent. It's fine. Let the others let the other factions cover that off. Not every other faction. Not every faction should be able to do everything. And I think it's probably deliberate that in FO, a lot of the generics are where the value is, and they want you to play the the thugs and just come in and give people cannon fodder to shoot at. Um, and I'm happy to do that. I don't mind playing the lower initiative guys. I've had a lot of success. So talking of lower initiative stuff, one of your blogs talks about the really unpleasant-looking Nantex swarm. Is that an idea that, that just came from the points changes, or is it something you've been kicking around with for a while? Oh, it's it's certainly nothing I've been kicking around for a while because I, I didn't expect anything like that amount to drop off the Nantex, and you would never look at them before at their old price. Um, and just to really... Well, that was horrific. I don't know what that... Was that me? There was a big noise then. Was that just me? I didn't hear anything. Okay. No, I heard it. It's it's just feedback when we're talking over each other. There's, um, okay. It's just a bit of feedback happening. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um, so just, just to run through that list, uh, you're starting with five uh, basic Nantexes, Nantices, yep. and then um, you're throwing in um, a Hive Guard. Is that right? Um, you, the people, there's a lot of people exploring this idea. Um, the basic one that I've seen and seems like where everyone is starting is five um, Petronaki Arena Aces, who are the I-4s, 
which gives you just enough room to fit in Grievous with Soulless One. And so you've got six I4s, um, and that's the default version, I think. And people are exploring around that, whether you um, drop to the cheaper ones and play Gravitic Deflection and things like that. They're they're crazy cheap though. That's the thing, you know. They're they're so low low points. And um, I played a game last night against Sitaker Martin, um, and he was flying. I think four of them with um, Maul in the yeah. thing with Dooku, and um, you know they all had I think marksmanship or something. But it, it was you know. You basically you can throw anything between four and six of them into a list, and then put something else in as well. So, you know, you can have three or four of them, and then you can have. Um, I think if you put three in, plus a couple of um, hyena bombers carrying torps or missiles, plus probe droids, plus a couple of vulture droids, that's about two hundred points. So it's adding another shaped jigsaw piece into the separatist swarm puzzle as well. Um, you know, and putting things that have got a two dice turret plus uh, a three dice bullseye it's um yeah it's going to be interesting to see the the shift away um and the fact that the majority of play at the minute is online is means that people can just say you know i'm going to stick seven mantexes on a table without having to worry about sourcing the plastic um to, to do it um and then push them around a bit and see if i like them and if i do great and if i don't doesn't matter delete the list and never fly it again um i'm not convinced by them they might be okay um like and i can see why they do what they do and they're really good if they're out psing stuff and there's a lot of stuff that they do out ps but um or initiative i should say um but i think once they hit um lists that have got multiple fours with a bid on them or multiple fives then they might struggle but i don't know the other point that i picked up from from reading through the blogs dave was you are pessimistic about the future of large bases. Um, perhaps uh, Dengar aside, and Boba still feels like a large base, even though he's a medium. Mm -hmm. But with those two exceptions, the number of um, three dice basic ships that can chuck a couple of reds at a one green dice large base means that as a species of ship, they're in some trouble. Do, do you think that there's there's... Any hope for any of the, the large bases? Well, in general, I think one agility is not a great place to be at the moment because it's so easy to swarm extra guns onto the table across you, across from you. And any one agility ship um, will suffer from having that many guns across the table. Um, but I also think that we have been so starved of good large base lists and good large base play and there are so many players out there who that is their game that is their version of x-wing that they love and that's what they play through first edition they will always be trying to unlock it so i'm sure there are people out there right now trying to get dash on the table and make it work um so people will try i'm not the person to call um, whether they can make it or not because that's not my game but I see a hostile environment for it in the amount of ships they're going to have to worry about on the table. The amount of arcs they'll have to try and dodge, uh, the amount of shots they'll have to take. I think they'll melt really fast. Um, but I'd like to see them back. I, mean, I Rich, think you the, um, with Benny. 
Yeah. Um, and, and that's just kind of what I was going to say was um, they're con- continuously and consistently dropping the cost of the large base ships. Um, so we've now got to the point where rather than having a very fixed set of potential wingmates for your Ray and a Falcon or for your Han Solo or, or for, you know, your Shadowcaster or your Decimator or whatever, um, you are still now, you're now getting to the point where you can put some really quite dangerous pieces alongside them. And rather than having one good piece and something to fill it, you can put, um, so uh, one list that I've seen floating up recently is um, Ray plus two A-wings, but the A-wings have got proton rockets and everything's at five and it's got a bid. Um, And, you know, it's better than the previous versions were um, because everything is is a threat um, because, you know, A-wings can just have their turret pointing backwards and then you jump over the top of them laughing and then they proton rocket you because you forget about it sort of thing. Um, And then let's not forget that um, people like Vooter Uhand has been absolutely tearing up online play with um, the Rack Sloan Swarm with Rack and Four Academy ties. Um, and that's a large base ship. It can't boost. It should um, not do well, but it's got Dauntless as a title. It's got other stuff that helps it. So the kind of consistent points drops in the in, in the big ships isn't helping the big ships themselves to be better, but it's enabling you to use them in a better list um, or in yep. a better composition of ships. Um, and I'm expecting to see them continuing to drop in price. Um, I don't think Dash is ever going to be big competitive because he's so expensive because, you know, there, there was a kickback against him after first edition. Like there was a kickback against Lorik and Miranda um, and a whole heap of other ships that were kind of dominating towards the end of first edition. Um, and again, you know, so all of the things that made Dash as good as he was have kind of all been nerfed separately and his points cost has been, has been put through the roof. Um, now he's steadily dropping and I have seen him starting to appear um, and it looks like kind of meme lists because it's, you know, lol, let's put Dash on the table. But, you know, if you put him on the table with any kind of support that's decent and even though he's 130 something points to kind of put a basic version of Dash on the table that can shoot twice and has some tokens, it's still, you know, a really big four dice <laughs> accurate gun um, that's going to be tearing people up if if you give them the opportunity to do so. So. Um, but yeah, I think I agree, Dave. There's um, there's going to be people who are just going to find something, and it's going to be something in the Ghost or something in the Falcon or something in the Decimator. I think Wooters find something in the Decimator, but I think there's going to be other stuff that's going to hit into the meta as well. I mean, the difficulty with Dash, isn't it, is that his ability is so amazing that as soon as you price him into the game, he becomes dominant. And it's very difficult to say whether Dash needs to be flying around at 150 points or 130 points or 110 points to make him playable. And it's the same sort of problem we have with Bobber. But with Dash, he's been on the wrong side of the points line, hasn't he? I think Dash will benefit if Outrider comes down. That's the piece that I think now is too expensive on the 2400. Um, But I did see someone said... The thing that's holding Dash back is he wants Trick Shot and Lone Wolf and Expert Handling. And he's only got one talent slot and you always have to choose, but you want all three. And I think he's going to be hamstrung by that, that he's he can't ever be the old Dash who ran away. Um, he's going to have to stand and fight. And that means 
that in times when opponents are bringing six ships, seven ships, especially if they're coming in with a lot of agility, Dash is not going to whack them all fast enough. But Dash is probably in a point now where if the metagame shifted to three ship lists, he would be able to do some work on them. I think he's, and it's whether they're trying to bring him down to a point where he forces his way into the metagame that we have now, or whether they bring him down to the point that at some point you'll cycle to him when something else goes up. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I think there's only so much you can do with points. The discussions that you hear online about new releases, and I think we did it in the previous show, is, well, it all depends on the points. And of course, that's mm-hmm. right, because if something is 203 points, you're going to struggle to get it in your list. And if it's only one point, then you'll take 200 of them, and it's amazing. So the, the points obviously matter. But as a tool for fixing the game, I'm not convinced that they overcome mechanics which are powerful in a sufficiently sort of hard way to mean that everything becomes balanced. Is that is that fair, Dave, do you think? Yeah, um, but I'm also not sure that it's a goal that they have to try and balance everything. And if it is a goal, I'm not sure it should be. Um, I would, because if you have ultimately a balanced game, it means it almost ossifies because you can play whatever you want and people will pick the thing that they like and they just sit on it because nothing's making them change. Um, They can get their 100 reps in, 150 reps in, 200 reps in, 250 reps in, and it's a perfectly fine list. And it's not great for selling plastic ships, but it's also not great for a play experience when people walk in the door and you know exactly what they're flying because it's what they've flown for the last two years. Um, I'd rather they use points to continually stir the pot and continually change the game. And so you go through periods where, yes, it's an aces game now. Um, and if you're not playing aces, you need to fly dash and then cycle it. So it's not an aces and dash game anymore. Now it's a generics game and just keep stirring the pot. And that's why I was to where we came in. I was a little bit disappointed that it didn't stir the pot as much because I thought I needed it. Um, if you're trying yeah. to, I, think, I don't know that it's a good place to be. I think that the reason that they didn't choose to stir the pot was because whilst a lot of people have been playing a lot of X-Wing, mm-hmm. that's all virtual X-Wing. And they yeah. don't like to acknowledge that license busting virtual X-Wing is a thing that's actually going on. And I can yeah. see that the points changes were, they probably made their calculations based on the limited amount of store championship data they had from February and March, rather than from what was going on, on in the online tournaments. And from a player's yeah. perspective, that's a little bit saddening. But on the other hand, you can see from a commercial perspective, given events that have happened in X-Wing in the past, why they want to keep their license holder happy. Yeah, it's understandable. Yeah, I mean, just to pick up on, on what we were kind of saying there, um, they, they didn't change the points much, and it was a little bit disappointing. Um, but, um, yeah, I, it, it kind of... For me, it's a bit of a weird situation that they are in because they obviously know that people are playing and they obviously know that there are some things broken. And as as you mentioned at the start, they know that there's stuff coming down the line um, and they want the points to be changed a little bit um, in preparation for that, knowing that they can always change them again. But, I mean, there's just... There's so much stuff that they could have done this time around that they just haven't 
bothered or haven't touched it or haven't played with it. But then weirdly, they've massively nuked the points on some stuff for no reason. Um, so like things like the Nantex, um, the Wookiee gunship, I don't think it's great still, but um, you know it's 42 points now. So you can put four of them plus something else in a squad. Um, and a former world champion is playing that list and calling it the best thing ever. I, I remain to be convinced having played with and against it, but um, it's, you know, people are still doing that. Um, just to mention um, something, and, and it's something that sticks in my head from one of the very first um, streams that um, the developers did about second edition when, when they announced that they were going to do points changes and, and that points were going to be um, flexible, was they said, we will change points to change the meta, um, they've never said we will try and keep this game as balanced as possible. We, you know, they they don't want it, as you've said, Dave. They do not want it to be, you know, every every combination of ships and upgrades summing to two hundred points has got an equal chance of winning against any other combination of ships. They want to see, you know, six months where Bob is smashing everything, and then people solve the puzzle, and then something, you know, and then you've got the interesting thing of do I take Boba because it's great, or do I take the droid swarm with plasmas because it's really good against Boba, um, or do I take the thing that's good against the droid swarm? Um, and then six months after that, they, you know, throw some points changes in, you know, and they can upslave one by six points, up more by a few points, up Boba by a few points. Boba disappears from the meta in his current form. Um, whether we should or not, that's the knee-jerk reaction of the player base, um, which we know and love. Um, but then new stuff comes out. And, I mean, you see the generics. People are flying um, heavy generic lists now um, because a lot of the generics are really um, attractively pointed. Um, you know, there's that um, six-ship resistance swarm I've been flying. It's got four generics in it and a couple of named characters who might as well be generics in the pods mm -hmm. and they're just cheap and efficient and it's a lot of guns on the table and there's well, the not many in, lists that are good against it the cynic in me wants to mention what happened with eight edition warhammer fantasy where they brought in a thing where the more unit the more models you put on the table the better your unit was so you could have attacks going four ranks deep or something crazy. And the result was everyone said, oh, wow, does this mean I have to have a lot of infantry? With the, the cynicism being that Games Workshop were trying to flog generic models. And there is an argument, isn't there, that the current generic game is encouraging players to pick up lots of plastic that they wouldn't otherwise pick up. And the next point that comes from that is that if it's right that balance isn't an objective, but freshening gameplay is, but selling plastic is an objective as well, that it makes sense to point the new releases very competitively indeed. Is, is that, do you yeah. think that's something we've seen or we should expect? Oh, I, I think absolutely. Um, they released the um, M3A6 Interceptor in second edition in black packaging and nobody bought it because it was dreadful. And then the next points change it got dropped through the floor. And now you see people flying six ship lists with six six in them. Now, the model's probably being hurt a little bit by the fact that most play is happening online at the moment. So people are able to play these lists without having to think about buying them. So I don't expect to see the points on things like the M3A Interceptor or the Nantex going back up again until... Um, in-person play has increased and they've been able to shift some of the stock that's in the warehouse um, and it's a very cynical perspective but ultimately ffg are a business and if they've got stock in the warehouse they need to shift it then they're going to make changes to their business model that, that enables that 
stock to move so they can bring new stock in. <laughs> you know, that's that's how the market works. What do you think, Dave? How cynical are you about all this? Um, cynical enough that I expected the M3A price to go down and had my list already planned, expected that I thought it would land uh, where it did. Um, but, yeah, generics in the game is obviously helping FFG to sell ships, and I'm sure they're very pleased by that. I think they're probably a little bit smarter and can play a slower burn game than to just drop everything into the game incredibly well competitively costed. And we've seen in the past some things come in and it's just too much. That's what's happened to the uh, Thai BA, uh, Von Reg Thai. It came in just too hot, just too high. Um, but they can fix it. Um, and for things like... For this round of points, I expect them to go down on the Naboo N1 Starfighter. So you walk into a shop and you see a lot of them on the on the racks because people need one to fly Rick, but they don't need more than one. So if you wanted to shift a lot of plastic plastic spaceships, you just make the Bravo officer 28 points or something and you're going to sell a lot of them. Um, but I think they're biding their time. They're not doing it all at once. They will cycle it. They will come to a, t- a period where they go, this is the six months where we sell an awful lot of um, N1 Naboo Starfighters, just like there was the six months where they sold a lot of Thai V1s. Um, but they don't have to come in red hot um, for the first release. I mean, I'm, I'm, to... I'm 100% ready for the N1s to go down to 28 points because I've already got five of them. So <laughs> let's go. I mean, that leads to the, the next point, which is that one of the... Uh, bugbears that some people have about current competitive X-Wing is that fewer games are going to time, sorry, more games are going to, t- sorry, to time than happened in first edition. Um, I had the privilege of speaking with Vince um, last year who was complaining that tournaments were taking longer because the gap between rounds was longer because more games were going to time and you can't start the next round until that game is finished and the players have uh, informed the judges of their score and, and they can move on and so on. And that is, people like playing a game to completion. And, and it's certainly been my experience that with more ships on the board, it has been, it, they all take longer. The whole thing just takes longer because there's more to do. Uh, is there any way of solving that with points? Could you just make everything a little bit more expensive and as a result of that have less ships on the board generally and thereby shorten games? Or would we see other stuff creep in that we don't want to see? I've talked about this a couple of times elsewhere and I see the generic swarms not necessarily leading to vastly longer games. Like, a lot of the games that were the longest most drawn out games were two Jedi starfighters that just wanted to run away and regenerate and would take the entire hour and 15 minutes because that was their win condition. Um, So I don't think that itself necessarily leads to shorter games. It's true that at the moment, a lot of ships, your average ship cost is down about 20% versus first edition. So you get 20% more ships on the table than you used to. But if you went the other way, I think it would swing the game towards defensive ships because it's easier to arc dodge and it's easy and it's your defensive tokens have got less pressure on them. So the game becomes more defensive and games go longer and it's, it's a catch. It's, it's a rock and a hard place. 
think it's it's not obvious that throwing more plastic on the table makes games last longer. But ironically, throwing less plastic on the table encourages slower gameplay that makes games go longer. If that makes sense. It does. Um, I, I still miss one point out in a lot of ways. Um, there were definitely flaws. There were definitely more creative ways they could have dealt with the flaws. But I enjoyed the pace of games and I enjoyed the um, the way that the designers were forced to build on top of what had gone before. Whereas with 2.0, because they can fiddle with the points, they can absolutely make a new game every six months. And there could easily be a period of six months where you don't like the game that they've made for this particular mm-hmm. season mm-hmm. and you just decide not to play it. Whereas with the old one, it was more well, you've released something, I don't like those mechanics, but actually I know that all the old mechanics are still there and most games are going to involve the old mechanics. I mean, there were there were people who didn't like Phantoms when they were released in 1.0, people who didn't like Jumpmasters, people who didn't like Nim and Miranda, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but all the way through, the solutions were changes to the rules rather than an easy change to the points. And, and this one seems to be a little bit design easy mode, because if you see that there's too much of something, in fact, even if there isn't too much of something you just want to change, then you alter the points and the game mutates. And it, it, it just strikes me as, as so much creative freedom that the designers don't have to make so many hard choices. Um, I, I, I'm not sure I agree. Um, and I think it's it's a complex question um, because it, it gives them the biggest way to the, the easiest and most seamless and effective way to um, remove something from the game if they think it's bad. Um, so if it's a bad idea. So like in first edition, they took the unprecedented step of saying, hey, guys, please take a whole punch to your Jumpmaster card because we've removed some upgrade slots for it. But you won't know about that unless you're actually paying attention. And if you've just bought it, you might be upset. But sorry, there's nothing we can do about it. They got it wrong. Um, what they can do now is they can actively say, do you know what? We're going to put something in that changes that. So they can either change the points on something. And if they realize that irrespective of how they, how they put the points on, for example, Anakin Skywalker in, in the um, ETA 2 or whatever when it comes out, if they realize that there's something horrifically busted to him, um, they can keep putting the points up and keep putting the points up until nobody wants to play him anymore. Or they can release something that makes him worse. Or you know, they, they can they can apply changes. They can apply cards. So like one of the things that people have said to um, a lot about the Jumpmaster in Second Edition, for example, is that they nerfed it too hard because they nerfed its points, they nerfed its action economy, and they nerfed its style. Um, but very easily, they could do in the game what they've done in the quick build, which is allow the jump master to take the R4 astromech or release a config or release something that, you know, changes some of its moves on its style and makes its style a little bit better or whatever. So while they have kind of given themselves a nice door for easy changes that, you know, is design easy mode. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. I don't think they've railroaded themselves into a position where that's the only way that they can change things. Um, and I think by leaving the points mutable, they've opened up quite a complex design space for themselves because 
they can always change stuff in other ways as well, but they have to be careful with the points rather than just saying, right, that's going to be four points forever. And then I guess the ultimate outcome of that is that you don't see the creeping changes of um, unkillable soon tier with, you know, palp plus evade tokens plus everything from first edition. Then you've got slamming bombs. Then you've got TLTs. Then you've got auto thrusters. Then you've got all of these different things that are in place to nerf the thing that was good before it that's been released on a card that can never be changed. So, and of course, push the limit on sun tier in first ed would be twenty points in second ed. Uh, yeah. But then, as if you put it on on stuff that was lower initiative, it would be worth less. Yeah. Uh, whereas in first ed, it was stuck at three points, and and push the limit was a persistent problem ever after it was released. Yeah, for like two ships, but those two, <laughs> but those two ships were you know dominating the game. You know, you had Suntier and you had um, to an extent Poe. Um, although Poe was always there was forever the argument about which version of Poe you should fly in first edition, but. Um, I'm still sad that he's just bad in, in second edition, and, and I hope that new Poe um, is better. But I'm I'm not going to hold my breath waiting for that to happen, or at least cheaper. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen either. To be honest, <laughs> but I'd like it to. I think, to one extent, it kind of allows them to be more adventurous in design, because if something comes out and it's just badly, it just works on the table, not the way they thought when players get their hands on it. Um, they can bomb it out of the game with points. Um, and I think what they've done with Veteran Turret Gunner kind of shows that they are trying to sculpt things to work the way they intended, but it's not what players have done with it. So they put these Veteran Turret Gunner in at four points and obviously trying to help out big ships. And everyone went, well, I'll slap four of those onto Y-Wings then, thank you very much. Uh, and so they had to make Veteran Turret Gunner a lot more expensive. But then they weren't help, wasn't filling the role that they wanted it to fill on large ships. So they've now done the, the, the costing by base to kind of get what they want and leave out what players were abusing that they hadn't seen coming. So I'm much happier with the point system than the alternative we had in first edition, which was you wait two and a half years and they'll print something that fixes it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, Arguably, it lets them be a bit lazy in design, but the ability to patch it down the line is surely better than the ability than having every mistake etched in stone. Yeah, I think that's got to be right, isn't it? That they can, if they do something absolutely catastrophic, uh, like a lot of people said, uh, Sunfac and Snare was, they mm -hmm. can just keep pointing it and pointing it until it becomes unplayable. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, um, it, it, it is easy mode in that sense. Uh, but that may not be a bad thing from a design point of view and from a, from a gameplay point of view. Okay, um, interesting. Enjoyed that. We are running longer on snapshots than we have done historically. Uh, so if you are somebody who likes to hear a complete episode in 15 to 20 or maybe 25 minutes, sorry. We are going to leave it there for now so your ears can take a break. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I've been Bob D, and with me has been Dave Sutcliffe. Uh, thank you for listening. And Rich Polly. Cheers. Ta-da from me. Hopefully we'll be back soon. It's quite interesting, actually. <laughs>